I've seen Hateful Eight in Poundland the other day. Yeah, got rigs for me. Mm. Although I see um, Andy Circus is directing Venom too. Eh? Aye. Bit of a weird end. Mm-hmm. He's done, what was it, Mowgli? Yeah. But um, I kind of feel strangely confident in him directing. I feel that's no terrible yeah. decision to put him. He's in the latest like 4K Steelbook editions of the old Batman films. The Tim Burton ones. Yeah. Like some of the artwork looks fucking incredible. Well, I'd, oh, I'd probably... Oh, like a white background. No, no, no. There's, I'm trying to get them on fucking Saturday and that. You can buy them in a box set or individual. And like even like as shitty as Batman and Robin is, the artwork, like just the colours work. Yeah, these ones. Oh. Like the original Batman, Batman Returns. Like, as I was saying, like Batman and Robin's shit, but fucking like the colour, like yeah. it looks really good. Are you on about ah, there's the white ones there. Yeah, that's what I was. Well, look pretty good as well. Yeah, I think that's just because it's the 4K ones, eh? Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is just the 4K, but this is the Steelbook ones, these ones. Uh, I'm trying to find if they've got the actual box set. Oh, so, alright. You can buy all the Steelbooks at 25 quid each. That's four films, 100 quid. Or, you can just buy in a box set for £5 more. Hundred and five. Doesn't make sense. You know, I think this is like one of these. Is it a, a blue and white or a fucking black and gold dress scenario? Uh, I think the one in the bottom left was the one I thought was the neon blue right in, but that's actually just looks like a dark version of the standard one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As well, I see people absolutely shitting on the artwork for the Matrix 4K steelbook. It's a bench spoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks fucking. Yeah. Although I see the. Look at those prices for that. 12 quid in CEX. Hang on, you can, like, that's what I'm saying. If, if, if you wanted to be a dick, you can just buy numerous of them and then sell. Mm. Aye. Soft touch for good artwork. Right, let me grab a wee drink and then we'll get this ball rolling. I'm the same, I need to fucking like remember and tell Michelle that I've got like Vengeance Trilogy booked fucking the two for Arrow and I'm still waiting Robocop. And I'm still waiting on that second sight edition of Dawn of the Day getting released. Mm-hmm. I did trade in my Police Story box set because I'm just going to go for the plain Blu-ray. Ah, right. the re-released just because I'd prefer it being in a wee single Blu-ray case ah, rather than a like, wee chunky box set. Yeah. Um, but I was cheeky and I kept the booklets. <laughs> Classy. I why not. But saying that, when I went to hand in the end of the dragon, they gave me all the, all the gunk, like... All the postcards, the end of the, like everything. So what made it a special edition is now they're selling a standard edition in the box of a special edition. Yeah. 
You think well, that's the reason why it's a special edition because it has artwork booklets. Yeah, I wonder if they'll sell it there. Same price. I have. I was in there the day and I never saw it actually. Mm. I should have looked out for it just to see if they're scamming folk. Mm. I did find a a steel book in a charity shop the day though, but it was a DVD steel book for uh, that documentary Anvil. Mind like the Canadian uh, metal band that never. Yeah. yeah. And I also did, like, manage to walk away from, they had the Omen trilogy on DVD for 150 I've never seen the first. Yeah. <clears throat> I know Sam Neill's in the third one. So part of me was like, just for the pure fact that I haven't seen two or three, and I could barely remember one after going to that midnight screening, hmm. I thought, one pound fifty on DVD. If if it's still there in the morning, I might buy it. Hmm. But as I say, I was doing good. No, getting films for a while. No, I've just bought five. <laughs> uh, right, that's good. I'm saying the only one that I've bought this month is I bought us last week. Yeah. Did you pre-order it or just pick nah, up? I just bought it. I'm quite looking forward to looking at the like special features and seeing. I think it's got like some like deleted scenes as well. See, that is one that I probably would. I, I do like to pre-order steel books. Oh, one second, I've left. I've left the lot of pack out. Travesty. I'm glad that's the end of the show as an outtake. <laughs> I've left my water pack out. As a Scottish as it gets. Um, I do like pre-ordering steelbooks. Because the full whack is always... Like if, if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Next week, if we've really fucking dig that. It's like, well, you, should, you need to get on the ground level and order that steelbook. But it's always between 20 and £30. Pounds. Yeah. Like for one film. Well, remember, I was going to get the Steelbook uh, Endgame. Yeah. Like, hoping for, like, because, like, the artwork for Infinity War was just Thanos with the gauntlet. Aye. And that sold out, like, fucking nothing else. And I was expecting a really good mm. bit of artwork, and it was just the, like, silhouette. Yeah, with everyone with the lights yeah, behind them. Whereas the actual original artwork on the Blu ray is just. People are selling magnetic covers on eBay for, for like, just the the movie poster as a magnet cover to put on top of your steelbook to know. give a better artwork, but it's like it's a bit of an extreme to buy magnetic covers to put on steelbooks. Yeah, because then it just makes that that one steelbook a bit thicker than the rest. And surely, yeah. I've seen them even do it to like the spines. Have we magnetic covers to go on the spines of steelbooks? That seems to be a fine art to. To modifying steelbooks, which is weird, but yeah. one that I really regret not buying. And it's minimalistic, but the steelbook for us, oh, the so scissors. nice, black gold pair of scissors. And it's like it's very simple but very effective, and it's like oh, I kind of would have liked to have gotten that. Yeah. I see people on Twitter right now. I'm reading as a, a a group on there called a We Watched a Movie, and under the first member they. The guy that dressed up like Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers, and yes. I remember the video I showed you, them, 
they were talking about this um, new like steelbook that's coming out for Halloween and, that, and people are raging because it's not got any like any like new footage or anything like that. Right. And like uh, I probably would have done the same. I probably would have took that disc out, put it in my regular Blu-ray, mm-hmm. put the old one in, and fucking at the counter. Aye, there was I think a war film I was thinking about doing that with, but I had the same thought. You know, last week when I was saying, I was we were talking about Stephen King films and there was The Shining and why I saw The Shining being used in another Stephen King film and why they weren't connected. It was the new Dark Tower film. Ah. Uh... Aye. Um, the kid in the Dark Tower could use his shining power and that attracts the attention of the... The Man in Black. That's Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. I still don't watch that. So every time Fox use Shining, but they kind of feed off the Shining as well. So I was like, oh, that's weird. Just that it just kind of creates like a, a Stephen King universe. Uh, I could that's a Stephen King book, yeah, that teller. Ah, it's like a six or seven part series, like big tomes about the same size as Game of Thrones. And yet they rammed it in an any minute film. <laughs> yep. And for the perspective of the kid. Whereas the books was for the perspective of the gunslinger hunting the black, not the black man, uh, the man in black. And the kid getting caught up in the middle of it. But uh, this one's like a kid that's got nightmares. Uh, isn't he? Terrible. It actually is something like the, the main characters, like the gunslinger and uh, the man in black, are really effective characters. Like the man in black is uh, terrible. Like the powers he has. Hmm. Like, he walks in a room where it's the kid's parents. She's, like, the kid's already escaped. They're freaking out. He walks in the room, looks at her husband, stop breathing, and just drops dead, suffocated, and tell, takes control of her. Just just, just at a glance. But the amount of time he just goes, stop breathing, and then folk go, uh. and drop to the floor and die. And it's just like, the man's that powerful, he could just do this, just point at a person and just yeah. have them drop dead. Yes. And, like, things like when the trailer come out, I was like, oh, this looks really fucking good. Aye. And like, Matthew McConaughey playing a bad guy, mm-hmm. like, always, is always good. And he's got that kind of reptile look about him, mm-hmm. where he just kind of looks scaly, and you just think, man, that would have been a, a good 15. Hmm. Obviously. It just feels like a young adult film now. Hmm. So. Like, that's what I was watching the day, when I was watching, um, uh, Friday the 13th, part 7. Aye. That's what I realised when I watched the last few of them, is there's a, a, there's a, a, a fucking group on YouTube called Dead Meat in the Day, a thing I called The Kill Count, and right. they basically go through like franchise the films and that. Then a body count. Aye, and they were talking about like that, that film's like marred with fucking like, censorship, like when the impact hits the camera cuts away and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I watched it there, and I was like, yeah, it's like, exactly. Like, it just cuts away. And uh, you, you see the after effect, but you didn't actually see that. You don't see the head flying off the shoulders yeah. and, or the body being cut in half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye, and it's didn't... like, like, that could easily get away with being a 15 because it doesn't show anything. Mm-hmm. But obviously back in the days, censoring was a bit tighter. Aye. Right, let's get this one started. Recording straight out of Fife, Scotland, you're listening to Films and Swearing, a movie podcast that records 
Straight up face well, that's how I started that sentence. <laughs> I'm Stuart Sutherland. Joining me, Magic Mike Christie. That is a, a royally uh, fucked introduction. Let's see. Wait, I, I've had too much beer. You know that reminds me. Um, in Naked Gun Three, where they're at the Academy Awards, mm-hmm. and uh, Leslie Nielsen's like reading from the teleprompter, Aye. and he's like reading the entire fucking Aye. thing and, uh, to Kirsty and he's yeah. like no that's my lines and he's yeah. reading everything that's exactly what you've just done yes and I, I wasn't reading from anything I was going for it's like there's a scratch in the record and I just went in a loop and started to say it's like Stuart's having a stroke <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> you just keep saying we're, know, we're recording stroke. straight out of Five Scotland having a stroke right out of Five Scotland those films are swearing episode 235, 80s season. We have now arrived in 1983. Yep. It is a double review. I will be talking about Risky Business, and Mike will be talking about Twilight Zone, the movie. Yep. So, aye. Film quiz? Aye. Yeah, let's go. Now, are these the ones that are left? Yes. I all mean, the, it's been all a the ones we've read before I tore on yeah, and that's... chucked. So. Mm, beer. See, when I was walking home last week, like, the first thing I'd done was put my headphones in and put on the Conan theme. <laughs> Just want to start, like, fucking pull out, like, a big saber and start slashing cunts. <laughs> Cut your way through a fucking... <laughs> Lamentating women. <laughs> Quick, Crush the J-keys. <laughs> Lamented the women. Right, I will first since I um, won last week. Cool. Um, oh. No, no. Who played Eve's nemesis, Margot Channing, in the 1950 film All About Eve? Pass. Betty Davis. I would never have got that either. Nah. Uh, comedy in the which 2008 musical movies storyline is based on on the hits of 70s sensation ABBA. 2008 musical movie based off of an ABBA. That fucking Mamma Mia shit. Yep. I thought that, I thought it was earlier than that, like. Hmm. No, I actually thought it was later. 2007. Mm. Pierce Brosnan's in it and Colin Firth. Yes. Yeah, I've never had the desire to watch them. Not me either, thankfully. It's one of those things like, oh no, the wife, the the wife, the wife might want to watch it. Yeah. And thankfully, it's never happened. Yeah. Right. Animate it a bit. All right, here we go. Um, in which animation does a boy find a magical lamp in the cave of wonders? It's a film directed by Guy Ritchie. <laughs> <laughs> it is Aladdin. <laughs> so blows the mind. He directed that. Aye. Alright, uh, animated one for yourself. Uh, what was the first Disney... F- Aye. What was the first animated... I'm going to pour the rest of that beard in the sink. I can't even talk. What was the first Disney animated feature film? Oh, fuck. Um, was it Dumbo? No. 
I, I wouldn't have guessed it either, but it was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Ah. I mean, we've seen them all, but I can never tell you which one was first. Yeah. Right, so I'm one up at the moment. Um. No, one all. You got Mamma Mia, I got uh, Aladdin. Yeah. So, one all. Man, their tellies are loud. Mm. Will Smith plays Agent J in Men in Black. Who plays Agent K? Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh, animated. Which Australian singer provided the voice of Songbird Serenade in My Little Pony the movie? <laughs> Was it Kylie Minogue? Saya. See? I, 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 that's the one where it's the big haircut and you can't see her face. S-I-A. Alright. Oh. You want drinks. You're not allowed to have too much drinks. Your film's a bit loud. What's this? Ah, uh, microphone. Don't touch it. You have to talk to it. You can't touch it. What is your name? Cameron. Your age? Five. What was your favourite movie? Casablanca. Which one? The first one or the second one? The first one. Good answer. <laughs> right. Is it in headphones? Yes, I heard all that in my headphones. Right. Give me the juice. You're just, you're an agent of chaos. You're chaos. Right. Go to your room. I will come through with juice. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Which movie made famous the line, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn? Casablanca. Oh, that's what I would have fucking said, but it's gone with the wind. Oh, fuck it. It is right enough, shit. Okay. Lifeline. Yeah. That's um, what I would have said, like, Casablanca. It is one of those fucking films where... Never seen it, didn't have any desire to fucking see it. Why would I want to sit through a four-hour depressing fucking like Civil War epic? Like, I don't even think it, uh, the main plot point is the war. That's the, the shit thing about it. Mm-hmm. This Christmas on Films and Swearing. Mm. Audio commentary to go with the wind. Nah. <laughs> nah. It's just those last hours that, when will it end? When? Just say the line! That's it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, that's that's the, the quiz. No, I didn't. I got that one wrong. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. My turn. So, I need to get this one right to tie it up. Yes. And we're going to sudden death. What colour are the enemy pigs in the Angry Birds movie? They're green. Damn. Yes, you're right. Yeah. It's a draw. Well, no, it's neck and neck. Uh, the Mexican-based Yul Brynner Western film was called The Magnificent. Really? Yeah. Seven? Yeah. I feel that was for like the last. Are you sure that's not a film and TV card? That's in the Doffy. Uh, that was very easy. Yeah, I've never seen the original. I've seen the remake with like, Chris Pratt and Denzel and all that. So, right. Me and Andy done a comparison for the podcast. Yeah. I watched both. 
The only yeah. thing that I didn't think was very believable was the big fucking Black real man gun. in the West. No, no, sorry, what was, was that? Was the, uh, <laughs> like the 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 range and the damage of the real gun. Ah, yeah. Towards the end. Aye. I think a quick summary of that episode: I liked the old movie, and Andy liked the new movie. But uh, that's not a surprise to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I liked fucking. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Ethan Hawke's character, and it was quite good. Mm-hmm. Did you see they all oh, kind of done another movie? Uh, I think Ethan Hawke directed it, and it's called The Kids. I've uh, Vincent I've, D'Onofrio. I've seen it in, it in the shops. Chris Pratt plays the villain, and he seems pretty unrecognisable. Hmm. Growing a big beard, scarred face, voices all. So that's the burnt ones. Yeah, burnt after reading. Hmm. Shall I go first? Who will who actually gets the honour this week? Because like, was your phone released before mine? Or well, not really. For a podcast covering films from nineteen eighty three, Risky Business wasn't released in the UK until nineteen eighty four. Ah, it came out in August in nineteen eighty three. And then it got UK released in March 1984. Almost a fucking year. Mm-hmm. So, mine's come, well, originally released in the States in August. I'll just fire through mine's. Aye, uh, then. It's written and directed by Paul Brickman. Director that hasn't went on to much else. Nah. He's written about 12 other films. Nothing major, but Risky Business seemed to be the big one. Yeah. Like, his second film... Wasn't, I think, in the 90s. Then the third one, when you look at it on Letterboxd, there's like three people seen it. Mm. So I don't know what's happened to Paul Brickman, but this seemed to have been like a... Since it's cruel to say it, but like a one-hit wonder. Mm. Uh, the film stars Tom Cruise as Joel, Rebecca De Morney as Lana, Joe Pantoliano, ah. Joey Pants as Guido, uh, Richard Bouncer as Rutherford, Bronson Pinoche as Barry, Curtis Armstrong as Miles, um, Nicholas Pryor as Joel's father, Jeanette Carroll as Joel's mother, and let's see, ah, the rest are just prosies. <laughs> <laughs> That's based on the film's like, premise, isn't it? Hi, I, this was the first time watched for me. I knew sweet fuck all about it, other than. He slides across the living room in a short, uh, in a shirt and a pair of socks, singing like miming to music. Yeah, that is all. It's like the da na 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 na. Yeah, and slides in. That is all I knew about this film. Found it in a charity shop, but luckily enough, it was there. Now I'm I'm sure it's actually on Now TV. Probably is. Could have saved you a buck. I'm pretty sure I paid very little for it, but. Mm. I thought, get an excuse to get that DVD off the shelf and get it watched. And it was so old. So old. It was um, clear disc both sides. You know, like the old uh, uh, Goodfella. Yeah, where, like, you have to turn it over halfway through. Yeah. So it was double-sided. And it had no menu. So the film started straight away. Uh, so very early DVD for the looks of it. Remember, remember when DVD first came out and like, you used to pay top fucking dollar? 18 I remember, I remember when my dad got a DVD player 
2001, I think it was roughly. Yeah. And it wasn't like your like Samsung or that. It was a cheaper variety one, and it was like a giant fucking black transponder. Ah. It like sat in the middle, and I mind like the first DVD they bought was like Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Full throttle? No, the first one. Um, <laughs> Charlie's Angel was the Green Mile, and someone else. But like they paid fucking top. Top dollar for about like 200, 300 quid for the DVD. No player. wonder it's like space age technology. But um, for us, I was I was a DVD drive in the PC. I remember watching the Matrix on the PC at my dad's house. Aye, we'd gotten a lent of the Matrix, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, and Enemy of the State, and Aye. all three of them were cardboard cases with the plastic clips. Ah, yeah. something strangely nostalgic about those but um, but for this this film has like a funny part a funny piece of strangely I guess nostalgic uh, technology like obviously he's doing his whole slide about the living room because uh, he's got a free house so he's just deciding to dance a bit like a wee fanny his dad has like a big big wardrobe opens up and it's like a three shelf cabinet and it's like a big music equaliser for cassettes so it's like uh, pushes the tape down pushes all the it's like this mixing table but for a big ass fucking cassette player so it's like all of that and it's like it's like a fucking super computer from an 80s movie but it's just yeah. for him to fucking <laughs> listen to cassette tapes and you're just thinking man was um, was this not like the, the film that kind of put Tom Cruise kind of out there. It must have. Because I think, 1983, I think the one he done before that was like The Outsiders or something. Aye, maybe. But I think I think Top Gun was his big, like his big, big film. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like the one that kind of put him in there. I've never, I've never seen either. It's never really a film that yeah, I just kind of thought, you know, I'll, I'll watch this. The same as other early ones was like Cocktail and yeah, and like it's, just, it's Tom Cruise so it's never really it's, it's not like I guess, oh man, I have to watch the fucking Tom yeah, Cruise movie. Like, as soon as Mission Impossible come out, then I And the same way fucking uh, Collateral. Mm-hmm. But I've, yeah. I've still never fully watched Eyes Wide Shut from beginning to end. Yeah. And it's, it's a really, it's a strange Kubrick film as well. It's, it, it was his last film as well. Yes. Aye. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for this one, my, it was the first time watched. My brief thought, it was alright. And I'd done nothing for you, sort of thing. I felt it was overrated. Right. It's kind of one of these things where I watch it and it makes you realise Tom Cruise has been a crazy cunt for the beginning. Because that sequence of him dancing about the, the house, it's almost reminds me of that fucking shot. Remember when he went on Oprah and he was jumping on the couch saying he was in love? Uh, he was dancing like that in that fucking film. Felt like half the film I was watching was in a fucking dream sequence, but he never woke up. Like that first night where he calls Elana, because he's got blue balls, they're all studying for these tests, he's got constant nightmares about uh, The film starts with him trying to wash a girl's back in the shower and he can never reach the other end of the bathroom, it's like a long, never-ending corridor. And when he gets there, he realises he's in a classroom, and he's in the last ten minutes of like the dete- the the test that decides his future, and whether he's going to get into Princeton or not. And he just panics and just thinks his life's over. So he's and they're all gearing up for these exams and he's freaking out. Parents 
go away on holiday and have this strange conversation in the car where it's all shot in first person, like through through Joel's eyes. And they're just looking at the camera going, right, remember, no house parties, here's some emergency money, blah, 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 there's, there's uh, pizzas, the, and they're all yeah, just... Yeah, they're all cliche. Yeah, and he's like, all right, right, no worries, cheerio. And, like, they were saying, how's your test exam doing? Oh, it's not too good. You could do it again, can't you? And it just seemed so foreign, like it was a dream. Especially with the fact that it was shot in first person. Yeah. Um, another weird dream sequence he has is uh, getting to have sex with his uh, babysitter. Uh, it was like a woman that looks that's like, no creepy, like a couple years older than him. And they're having sex and the blinds are open. And then all of a sudden there's a SWAT team surrounding the house saying, Get off the babysitter! And then his parents are there, and they're like, Joel, get off the babysitter! No, you think about your tests! And then, like, her dad comes down, and he's fucking screaming at him, and, and he's just, he can't concentrate. He's pent up with, like, teenage frustration, and he's also freaking out about his exams. So his pal calls a, a call girl, and it's got, like, a great twist at first, because it's just this, looks like seven-foot black guy in a dress. <laughs> And he's like, I'm Jackie. And he's like, Hi, Jackie. Um, and he's like, You know, expecting you weren't expecting this, were you? And he's like, No. Okay, here, phone Lana. This is what you rich little white boys really want. And phones her, tells her the dress, and he's just sitting there. Like, and it, again, it looks like a dream sequence. Like, it just looks like a softcore porno. He's sitting there. She just walks in the house. Starts taking her clothes off, saying, "Here, Joel." And then walks over. First thing, like take one bit of clothing off in one hands up. Start screwing in the hall. The back door, the patio doors blow open. There's leaves and softcore music. That's not a dream. That's <laughs> part of the film. She just walks in the house and they just have sex on the stairs, on Dad's big ass chair, and just wakes up the next day and she doesn't leave. He's like, "We had sex." I paid you and she's like yeah. no I want $300 it's like I've got 50 I had to pay like 70 about $100 to Jackie just to get rid of him <laughs> and he's like I've only got 70 bucks and he's like I'm sure you could find more money so right enough rich little white boy goes and he's going to like like it looks like a Swiss bank like open the vault door he gets the two keys pulls out he gets some like bonds cashes in gets $500 and again it's like has to be a dream when's he gonna wake up Gets back home, she's gone, but she's stolen this priceless crystal egg from the mantelpiece. And he's like, oh, why, why would you leave? Leave a whore in your house. <laughs> <laughs> Dana DeVito wouldn't do that. Nope. He would do that bitch well. <laughs> and you're just thinking, man, there's so many, times you're just screaming at the TV. And I think it's just because it's na- the naivety of this kid who's finally gotten laid and she's super attractive, so I, I could trust her in my house. And even though when it comes back, she's gone and she's stolen stuff. And it, someone on Letterbox summed up perfectly because my feelings on the film were mixed. So I went and looked. Everyone was like four, five stars, love heart, and it's like maybe I am in some sort of small minority. Exactly. And but all the reviews was like people suppose this is a total hit in like the gay community, like. Saying the sight of just 
It's Jackie does it for them, eh? It's the fucking Tom Cruise cutting a boot in his wee tighty whiteies. <laughs> like, fuck, we're just saying, like, Tom, like, Joel's a snack. And, like, this is not appropriate for Letterbox. I'm just looking for the film. They're Tom and fucker just won the fucking. Fucking gay boys are standing up while they're sitting on the wall. Like, the fucking motorboat his ass cheeks. And he's like, wow, no. And one person summed it up perfectly and said, it's Ferris Bueller's days off. Uh, it's Ferris Bueller's coked up brother. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, cause still a film I've never seen either. It just feels like because Ferris Bueller he gets the day off and he goes has an extravagant adventure, gets back just in time for his parents before they find out and everything's perfect. This is the same. Like parents go away, prostitute stolen a prize egg, and he gets in a whole type of height, a whole series of hijinks. Like at one point, they end up driving his dad Porsche, driving his dad's Porsche. Uh, they let the handbrake off and it rolls down the hill and it goes right into this lake goes across onto the wooden dock stops before the very end then the dock collapses uh, and he's like freaking out because I think I've seen that scene I think I've seen maybe folks watching it on a film or something yeah and it's, it's like the the golden rules for the dad don't touch my Porsche take the station wagon and then of course and he's like what the fuck am I going to do my dad's going to know I've done this that's going to cost me thousands and thousands of pounds to get taken out of the lake and there's a great show it gets down out of the lake and you open it and like half the fucking lake comes out and there's fish everywhere and there's just there'll be fish scuttling about the floor and it's just like oh man you're so fucking dead and Lana's way of well, we could fix this because he's like a wee business major this is what he's trying to get into Princeton for and she's like you're smart I've got connections Let's turn your mum and dad's, like, let's turn this empty into a whorehouse. So, right enough, he brings all his rich white friends to his house, mm-hmm. and she brings all her classy prostitutes to the house. With... And it just becomes fucking Joel's big shag pad. <laughs> and they, and it's, literally, there's companies delivering, like, Z beds with mattresses, so they could just put extra beds in rooms, just so they <sighs> could just... I don't know what the plot to that um, from with Tom Hans bachelor party. Maybe. I think they just get him a prostitute, but uh-huh. this one, they just turn his house into a fucking brothel. Mm. And in amongst all the chaos, it's like a wild house party, and it's just women constantly taking wee teenage boys into rooms. And there's a man in a suit there, and he's looking awfully nervous, and like, what's going on? And it's the cunt that's giving an interview for Princeton. Whoa. So he's trying to conduct an interview in his dad's study, and the amount of thought I keep coming through, getting ready to shag, going, oh, sorry. And they all go back at the room. <sighs> and it's like of of course this happens but it was a swerve I never expected mm. like I just thought he's having a really shitty time prostitute all things going wrong and then I thought parents are going to come back and it's hell but no they decide let's let's team together you become the pimp I'll become like the head the headmistress and just get everyone in and for one night we'll try and make as much money as we can and solve all your problems and Tom Cruise, instead of freaking out, he's like, okay, whips a pair of sunglasses, starts going, starts doing his really, like, face like Bruce Lee when he's snapping cunts necks. And he's like, he's, <laughs> like, he's become possessed, like the character's bipolar. Like, one minute he's panicking, and then he's like, I'm the coolest cunt alive. And starts walking around, putting his hands on Fox's shoulders, like, I'll introduce you to some pussy, and carry them to his house. And he's like, what's going on? Because <sighs> even in his Princeton interview, there's this running theme of, he takes life too seriously, and his pal's like, you know what, sometimes you just need to say, fuck it. Just, fuck it. And it's like, I can't, I can't. It's like, the reason that you can't even say it is the reason why you will never do it. 
So uh. during his Princeton interview, everything's going wrong. He said, you know what, Jerry, sometimes, and he pulls his pair of sunglasses in his pocket, puts on his eyes, you just have to say, fuck it. He stands up and he does a fucking wild face. You're expecting the freeze frame and then credits to come up, but it doesn't. He just keeps doing the wild face for a minute. <laughs> and then it just cuts to the end of the night and they're sitting counting money. He's like, this film's fucking weird. Uh. Fucking weird. It's like 95 minutes, 96. Hmm. And I mean, it's the usual. By the end, everything's sort of sorted. Like, everything's... Like, there's one point um, Joe Pantoliano's character Guido, who's like her original pimp, uh, they right. piss him off. Yeah. Because they, like, he more or less sees Tindlana away from him. And she's obviously a top earner because she looks like a fucking schoolgirl. Mm. Uh, so everyone wants to show Alana. But she's like, no, Joe's my boss now. And uh, fucking uh, Joe Pantoliano's character, Guido. He's just like, Guido, the Italian. He's like, how original. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'll mind that. And there's this brilliant scene where Joe thought he's got everything sorted. Everything, he's got the car back, got the crystal egg back, everything's perfect, goes away, comes back to his house, and they've stripped every bit of furniture out of the house. It's like it's an empty house, they've gotten rid of everything. And it's like, mum and dad's due home in like an hour, they phoned him for the air, saying, oh, we're on our way. um, By chance, did they take the fucking cassette thing? All of it. Yeah. Oh, even no. the wardrobe had come in oh, and no. he's freaking out he runs outside and Lana's just done the con on him she's just went back to Guido giving him access so it's good. just never trust a whore never <laughs> trust a whore and he's there and he has he's like yeah you can have the hi-fi back for $300 so he has to buy all his parents furniture back after Guido to get back in the house and at the very end, it comes into the crystal egg and he's only got like $50 left and he's like we want 350 He's like, Gary, I've only got 50. You've sent everything off me. And he's like, all right, here. You could owe us the 300 and just fucking launch it. And there's this slow motion shot of him running, jumping over all the furniture, dies, catches it. But, I mean, it's it's totally perfectly fine for one watch. Just to kind of see how weird it is. Mm. Because they were definitely, like, it has a strange sex scene. Like, a strange ass sex scene. Now it's like, Really? This is what? What? No, that's. I feel like I need to. I can't even have to take a sip of beer. Uh. After this prolific night of hooring in his house, like, <laughs> Lana's all her friends, everyone's been pumped. They're all. All the girls are exhausted, all the boys are drained dry, and they're all sent home. <laughs> and Lana's like, right, can what? I really fancy sex as well now, but I want to have sex on a train. So they, it's like, okay, let's go. And they go in the subway, and it's it's Phil Collins. Like, I feel it in the air tonight. Uh, no. That's playing. They got on the train, and the train's full. So they just outweigh everyone getting off. Like, a black couple leave. There's an old black woman looking at them, going, mm, 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 I can't what the fuck you honkies are up to. She's just giving them this look. She knows. Cause, and she's, she's just, done it before. She's just way. fucking disgusted. And she walks away, and it comes down to them and this old hobo eating biscuits. Hobo watched it. Hobo watching. He's looking at Tom. Tom looks like a fucking snack. <laughs> <laughs> and he is. He's sitting there <laughs> eating a cracker, swigging a bottle of whiskey with a broom bag. A broom bag. Go on, snack. Glug glug glug. And he is like Lana's got her back to him, and it's just he's making eye contact with Tom, 
Tom's trying to just think past and just sit and try and get set in about his missus. But I can't just keep seeing him. The train stops and you quickly see Tom lifting the drunk, carry him at the train, put him down on a bench, put a coat around him, and then run back in. Then they just have this like 80s sex scene on a fucking train. Like he's sat down on the chair, she's mounting him and taking her clothes off, and it's all slow motion and it's going in and out of tunnels. Funnily enough. <laughs> Fucking this this film's got layers, and you're just thinking, what the fuck is? They're shagging on like the midnight train, and they're trying to make it look like sexy, and it's like, what? You, that's tinky as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's like, just wake up, Joel. Just wake up. You're just having a, a weird wet dream. Honestly, I was waiting for that to be the end. That's usually like, like a copy of like other films or TV shows nowadays. It's like, mm-hmm. all a dream. Exactly, because it kind of. Oh, it's again weird because he's lying in his bed and he goes to grab his dick and then it just cuts to him having sex with that babysitter and the SWAT team show up. Uh, and I thought, maybe as you just dream within a dream within a dream because this is so fucking weird. Why would you let a prostitute live with him? And it was just weird. But, aye. I feel like I've talked for three quarters of an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but aye, it is. If it is on now TV, check out if you're bored. Yeah. Like, it's... It, isn't terrible. It's just like the only reason I probably would knew is because Tom Cruise is a snack. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so fucking weird. You have to just see the hobo on the train, <laughs> just sitting eating biscuits, drinking whiskey, going, "Oh, I'm fucking having yeah. for a show tonight." But uh, uh, so I did. I got a couple of laughs out, but I, by the end of it, I didn't see what the big deal was. Yeah, it might have just because maybe at the time it come out, and it just fucking blew folks' minds. Mm. and just introduced him to fucking Tom Cruise because he is clearly the most attractive out of his party of folk because it just looks like a and d stable and then there's Tom Cruise in yeah. with him like he's too good looking to be with these people but yeah let's see let's have a look at my notes uh, he got a Golden Globe nomination out of it how old was he at the time? I couldn't have been any more than late teens early 20s yeah. Uh, he got best performance uh, by an actor in a motion picture, comedy or musical, and he lost. He lost out to Michael Caine. Oh. Michael Caine got it for Educating Rita. Mm. Ever see that one? No. They f- they showed that film a lot in high school. Huh. And it's educating. It's like a say like an English professor teaching, like doing an adult English class to. To just uneducated adults, yeah. and it's uh, I think it's Julie Waters. All right. And uh, no, is it Julie Waters? Yeah, and she's re- and They're just like he was. He's trying to convince her to read Howard's End. He's like Howard's End. That sounds filthy. <laughs> she took it literally. He's like, no, it's not about Howard's End. It's a story. That's the only part I remember about that film. But aye, he got it. Um, would this film work nowadays? I guess, kind of in some sense. I reckon, I was saying, if who stole this film? The hobo. Aye, hobo on a train. <laughs> um, aye, Tom Cruise would have been 21 mm. at the time. Aye, he did look like he was fresh off the boat. Yeah. You want to know the budget? It's actually more expensive than I imagined. Is it, 6.2 million. I think for a film that was just a, like consisted of in like house party and okay maybe for driving a bit in a Porsche 
Nothing but. You want to know how much it made? I've got a domestic figure of. I reckon it probably would have been a bit of money because I reckon the buzz would have been, you know, like with Tom Cruise and all that. Like. Aye. It would have been aimed at like teenage audience Aye. and feeling maybe like the, the, the John Hughes crowd, like for the Breakfast Club, Weird Science. It might would have went across to kind of seen that as well because yeah. I, I guess it kind of be classed as sort of like a raunchy comedy. Um, it made 63.5 million domestic. It's not bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Nay, worldwide. Uh, no foreign no. overseas figures. Uh, trivia? I haven't got any. Let's have a look. No. I'll, I'll pull some up on the phone right now. I'm looking through the first couple of like, reviews and people are saying that it's like a very underrated film. Yeah, I, I reckon what? But... Yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah, I see that March 1984. That's a strange, strange release date for it. Like, but then that was the, that was the thing back in the day. I remember we used to get films like fucking six months later after America got them and that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously, the dance scene where Joe dances to old time rock and roll was completely improvised. Leading to my case that Tom Cruise is a fucking nut. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In the script, Tom Cruise was simply instructed to dance to rock music. And he literally jumps from couch to couch, dry humps, starts doing the worm. He's running a bit with like a fire poker, using it as a microphone stand like he's Freddie Mercury. And just like, what? Yeah. John Cusack, Nick Cage, Michael J. Fox, Tom Hanks, and Sean Penn also auditioned for the role of Joel. Imagine Nick Cage. Oh, uh, he would have been quite unrecognisable at that point, eh? Aye. Uh, cameo, Sean Penn was the man sitting in the passenger seat as Joel first takes the Porsche for a spin. A cameo was a favour for the director. Uh, Penn and Cruz had starred together. First time they started together since Taps. Ah, oh, fuck, I thought they were going to say that Sean Penn was a hobo. That would have been great. That would have, like, that would have, like, notched it up a bit for me to watch it. Mm-hmm. And one last piece of trivia. The film was originally called White Boys Off the Lake. Well, that actually sounds mildly racist. Mm-hmm. According to Paul Brickman, the studio disliked the title as they felt it sounded like an off-Broadway play. Uh. Strangely specific. White boys by the lake buy some white fucking birds. Aye. Hobos on a train. Hmm. Ben Chance was a hobo white or black? White. Ah. Mm-hmm. He was dirty. Dirty black. Ah. But just sat there swigging whiskey eating crackers. You never think of hobos apart for Rutger Hauer. With think, a shotgun. <laughs> I always think of fucking Christopher Lloyd in the Dennis film where he plays like the... Hobo slash thief, mm. and uh, and he's like he's fucking greasy and dirty, and he's got like no teeth and all Aye. that, and he just looks like he needs a scrub. <laughs> all right, Mike, it's your turn. Take the microphone and tell us all about Twilight Zone. So the uh, movie. So Twilight Zone is a anthology. Um, yes, yeah, an anthology movie. It's four stories under prologue, um, and. 
is directed by John Landis, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante and George Miller. Four very credible directors. Yes, very prestigious. I mean, George Miller, the only thing I remember about George Miller is Mad Max. I think that's literally the only things he's done, really. And Happy Feet. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> I would not know that. The polar opposite of Fury Road, Happy Feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I, I wrote down like, the, the actors that I recognised in the film. Mm-hmm. And I, um, also you've got Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks, they play the uh, car passengers in the prologue at the start. Right. Um, you've got um, Scatman Crothers as Mr. Bloom. Oh. Um, you've got John Lithgow as Mr. Valentine. Right. And I couldn't remember the character's name, Kathleen Quinlan. And you've got good old Dick Miller. Dick Miller. In there. Was it for the Joe Tante section by chance? It fucking was. <laughs> it was. And it was actually quite a good Dick Miller. Like we Good role. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it was only like, like two, two, three minutes. Yeah. But it was pretty good. All right. So, um... So the stories, the anthologies, it was... I guess, just tell me about each of them. Yeah, so, um... The, so what the film is, the film is basically retelling stories on the original like TV show. Right. Like one of them, the only three of them are actual retellings. One of them is a completely... New one. Yeah, which happened to be the first thing that John Landis had wrote. Right. I think it was called... Like, when the credits rolled at the end, it just says segment one, segment two. Yeah. I think you had to actually go online and find out the real name. And I think, the, the I think right segment credits. one was called Time Out. Mm-hmm. Um... And obviously the most famous one was like like Danger at like 20,000 feet or something, which is the right. whole airplane thing. Yeah. Um, so the film opens up with fucking the prologue with a young, very young looking Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. Obviously Albert Brooks, the only thing I kind of remember him for notably is he was one of the bad guys in Drive. Ah, he right, the yeah, one the... He was like the, the Italians in the restaurant. Yeah. Was Italians? Ah, he was like, he was the boss of uh, Ron Perlman and, yeah. and he was like, he was like old pals with Brian Cranston and that. Yeah. But he looks, he looks, kind of reminds me of fucking, oh, what was the name of the, the actor that was in Seinfeld that played George? Oh yeah, the, 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 glassy, the short guy. Yeah, the glassy. Ah. Like, oh, oh, I always thought that was him, but wasn't he? Mm. Um, so obviously it's them two, they're playing they're in a car and an athlete. I, th- I always thought I'm sure I'm sure Dan Aykroyd is like a hitchhiker because when they talk about like how the world just kind of met I'm assuming Dan Aykroyd is a hitchhiker yeah and they pick him up so that does he look like an old bum eating crackers and drinking whiskey <laughs> nah nah um, <laughs> this was obviously before Ghostbusters but he was was Dan Aykroyd relatively big at that? I suppose he would have been because he would have been Saturday Night Live and yeah he would have been doing all the like the wild and crazy guys with Steve Martin and <laughs> yeah Aye. Um, so like they were then playing this game where like they're humming like theme tunes and stuff and they're trying to like best each other at it and, uh, and then they start talking about the Twilight Zone and like episodes at the scene and stuff oh, and right. then uh, Dan Acker is like right you want to see something really scary <clears throat> and he's like you need to cut here, like you need to pull the car over turns turns away 
comes back and he's got like a really fucking scary like werewolf looking mask on mm. and just starts attacking uh, Albert Brooks. Christ. So then it just cuts to that infamous yeah that infamous fucking the, line. The speech for is it Rod Sterling? Yeah. yeah. And obviously the whole fucking music and, that, and like it always it always reminds me of being on the Tower of Terror. Aye. And, uh, in Disney. Because that's how it starts like you, you go in because, like, everybody's dressed in the whole, like, old fucking hotel, sort of spooky setting to put you in, and then, like, the room's obviously go black, and it's just all the stars, and it's, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Sterling and Tom. Yeah. And, and just, there's something about that score that's actually quite... Eerie? Yeah, quite eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it cuts to uh, the narration of the first story, um, regarding a guy called Bill, mm-hmm. who's had like literally the worst week, and I was talking about how has, um, like he never got the he never got the promotion at work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. This other guy got the promotion who happens to be Jewish, and he just starts going on about like how he hates the Jews, hates the cooks. Coots, coots, <laughs> hates the coots, hates the niggers, shit like was that. It, was it Mel Gibson? Nah, <laughs> that. Um, and he's just, he's gone off on one and he's like, can I fought in fucking Vietnam and all that. Like, I'm, I'm an American that, like, these people are taking our jobs and I'm, like, the reason why we're having to fight for our jobs and that's because he's, and obviously he's in a bar and he's surrounded by fucking blacks and fucking Asians and everything. head kicked in. So then he storms off, opens the door of the bar, and all of a sudden, it's like he's, like, he's looking around and he's like, this isn't where I am. Mm-hmm. And so basically the premise of this story is, is like he's reliving historical like moments in time. So like right. the first part is like being chased through um <laughs> being chased through um fucking France by right. the by the Nazis because oh, they right. think he's Jewish. Yeah. And obviously he's obviously he's American, but they like, obviously they think he's Jewish and all that, and they're obviously trying to kill him and stuff like that. Aye. And then when and then the next part is um, actually in fucking Vietnam as Aye. a like he's being hunted by the American soldiers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just him reliving the same fucking shit, and it's like I think it's like they're trying to like make him sort of learn a lesson, sort of thing. For the way that he blamed yeah. on these people, Aye. and then seeing how they've. Struggled as well, yeah, and it was it was quite it was quite good. Like I think one of the one of the better bits is when he he wakes up and he's actually getting hung by the KKK. Oh Christ! And I, <laughs> yeah, the blacks have had it worse than you, pal. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's I think the the only parts of Twilight so I saw it used to have American Netflix like before they could block your VPN. Yeah. And I I remember watching the original series and I got three or four episodes in but I did watch the Jordan Peele kind of ah, right, series yeah. that I'd done and it started off really well and then the last three or four episodes were questionable like right. some were good some were bad was it him that was doing the narration and stuff like that yeah I think he might have directed maybe the first episode but he was like the Rod Sterling he would walk in in a suit do the speech and tell him about the Twilight Zone and kind of walk away in the music and he would be the narrator for every episode. Yeah. 
So it had a nice touch to it, and quite a lot of like famous faces showed up. Seth Rogen was in a couple of them, and ah. there was one where it was sort of like the background. It was like one of the writers of Twilight Zone was being haunted. So it was like an introduction, and then it was like an outtake. And then they walked away, and you realise it's a bit the writer. It was him, he was just being Jordan Peele at this stage, and yeah, they were quite interesting. Yeah, it's something I've never, I've never really watched like the TV show or anything. Yeah, like I, I think I'm actually, I'm, I'm interested to watch a couple of the the stories that have been put in the film because obviously they're, they're like the retelling. Aye, so I kind of want to see how the danger at twenty thousand feet plays out and stuff like that. Aye, um, and obviously if if I ever get a chance to see the one with Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. I might. The one that features Kumail Nanjiani, that was the opening one, it was called The Comedian. It's been nominated for an Emmy. I think um, Kumail's been nominated for like male actor in like a limited series. And it's a great one because he's like the struggling comedian. He'll do his jokes and they didn't really land. But if he goes on like a, like a wee verbal rampage, I like, kid, what annoys me? My fucking dog annoys me. Shit's all over the place. And the crowd will laugh it up. But by the time he's gone off the stage, they would say, man, that was good. Where's my dog? And the dog's vanished for existence. Like, if he roasts the a, like the animal or a person in his set, by the time he's finished his set, that person's vanished from existence and uh-huh. no one's ever heard of them. Like, his girlfriend's like, what dog? You don't have a fucking dog. And then he bumps into a guy that he went to school with that bullied him. So he started doing his set and he started talking about... The same jokes when he landed. Like, you know what? This asshole. I bumped into some asshole today. And he bullied me in school and obviously was laughing. And the guy was in the crowds. And he was laughing. He couldn't take it. And then by the end of the set, he had vanished as well. And he's like, he's becoming more famous because he's doing these great sets. But yeah. at the cost of losing people around him. And there's like one set where his girlfriend pisses him off. And he realises he's on stage and it's a big, big deal. It's like he's on television. And he really needs to land it. So he has to roast his girlfriends. Uh, and it's just like the consequences of his actions yeah. is really good. I can see why they opened the season with, with that one. Yeah. But I hope it like ends up on Netflix or now TV. It's a yeah. shame that it was... It's like CBS Online was yeah. what went on in the States. Yeah. So For those are like... As well, like, obviously, if you... I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to like seeing if they bring more out because... I reckon it'll be like differently, like directors directing like, each episode. That's so, like, yeah. Like you in the mind seeing like I'm trying to think like fucking maybe I reckon like, like Denise Villeneuve like fucking directing like a wee one or yeah or like fucking Kim what Chuck Kevin Smith and I'm sure he could fucking exactly. do something decent. Aye. You know what I mean? So, but um, the so the, what was your net? What was because there was three segments. Four. There was four. Right. Um, like the segments are about what 20, 20 minutes long or something. Like that. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're easy to watch. But the films like one of the ones where you kind of didn't have to like follow like all the way through. Obviously, as long as you series kinda, of short stories. Yeah. Um, is there like a linear? Is there like a running? Are they all connected in some strange way or completely separate? No, and they're all they're all pretty much separate. Well, actually, apart from the very last ones, kind of. It's got like a weird end it. to it. Alright. But, um. What, how, what is the running time for it? Hour, hour and 40 minutes. So you're roughly That's getting fair. about 20 minutes for each. Yeah. Like each, um, like, semi. Because, like, the opening prologue is about maybe five minutes. Right. 
something like that. So like you've got what ninety five minutes left, but five minutes of credit. So yeah, you've got about twenty, twenty one, twenty two minutes for each segment. Which yeah. is not bad. Yeah. Um the second segment was probably my least favourite one. And I looked up on there and it was called Kick the Can. Right. And it's uh, the one that's got um Scatman Crothers who obviously plays um, dude for the Shining. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember um, his name right now. I can't his name I'm either. slightly inebriated. Uh, but aye, <laughs> takes an axe to the chest. Yeah. Um, and it's set in amongst uh, like a care home. Right. And, uh, and it's like them talking about, like, oh, like, there's a guy on the stage talking about, like, at 83, you should be fucking still experiencing great sex and all that. <laughs> and, like, all the wee, all the wee fucking sweet wifey's are, like, eating it up and all that. Like, oh, I want this again. I want this. I want that. And. Uh, Scott McCurls plays Mr. Bloom, who is like almost, it's like he's got this sort of thing where he could like turn them back into like their younger selves. Alright. So like he turns them back into when they're like, like really early, like teenagers sort of thing. And they're all running about and stuff like that. And it's got a, a very Peter Pan kind of feel to it. Alright. And it's, it's a bit more of a light hearted. Yeah. Story and all that. It's got like a wee... What's the sinister twist, if there is one? And there actually isn't one. And oh. like, that's like that's probably like, like one of my least... That's probably my least favourite. Aye. Um, and when I was reading people's reviews, people were saying like, were saying that like, two segments work, two didn't Um, But people, every, like the general consensus was like, was that this was like the least favourite and Surprisingly as well, it's like directed by Steven Spielberg. So you would kind of think that at that time, you know, he's probably yeah like the most accomplished. Ah. And he's probably going to deliver something really good. But he obviously didn't. He? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's like, the, I, I, I think in how he turns them into fucking like the kids and all that, but he's like, like he goes for like care home to care home sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like he kind of gets everybody to like, like relive their youth. Mm-hmm. And it's making so, me think of Cocoon, but I th- did Spielberg do Cocoon? Uh, they I think so, I don't think so. Nah. Um, but like, towards like, the end of that whole like that whole segment, like, <clears throat> they all go back into their care home, and there's an old guy who is still old. Right. And they're like, there's kids in my room. Like, there's kids in my room. And he like... He runs through. My laptop just being really loud. Hmm. Uh, he's like, he's like the kids are in my room, and he like runs past um, Mister Bloom and all, and he's like, "There's kids in my room." And he's like, "Yes, yes, yes, there's kids in your room." And he goes and gets the nurse, and he comes back, and they're all back to normal, right? Apart from one, and one of them is obviously the one that doesn't want to be, doesn't want to go back to being old, and and he kind of just like flies away like he's Peter Pan. Huh. And then it just kind of, just kind of ends on that. Aye. And, I, and I'm just like, I just wasn't. Yeah, like, like I was Spielberg had I was, his own vision. Yeah, I was expecting a lot more for Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm making a Spielberg movie, not a Twilight yeah. Zone movie. Um, did Spielberg make Hook? He did, eh? He done. Ah, I want to say he did. Yeah, I'm sure he did. And I mean, like, it was good. Yeah, I loved Hook as a kid. Yeah, as a kid. There's only things like nowadays you realise it's people hated it. Yeah. Like, people were not fond of Hook, but I couldn't help but fucking love it because it, it was shown at the right time as a kid. It came out as a... Yeah. And it like, was like... Fucking, like, Dustin Hoffman, like, even though he was 
he's brilliant. Like he was a wee bit like terrifying. I yeah, think. Aye, totally. His look up, his big fucking nose and the hair. And but I always forget that Bob Hoskins was in it playing Smee, and that, and he was fucking great. Aye, fucking perfect. Yeah. Who else was was in it? And then all the fucking stuff with like Rufio and Lost and uh, that great banquet sequence where they have to uh, imagine the food and then it shows yeah. up. And it's it's like Robin Williams learning to be a kid again. And yeah. Aye. Because he plays like a total workaholic. Yeah. Aye. Because uh, he was Peter Pan and he went back up, never seen it in years, but he was like Peter Pan and went and had to go back. And then realise he was Peter, and then like, he's not Pen. Yeah. No. Man, uh, hook. It's on Netflix as well, I've noticed. It's been off the sky on Netflix, so I might have to revisit, revisit it at some point. Totally. Because I fucking loved it as a kid. Mm-hmm. So that was... Segment two. Segment two, so that was Spielberg. first one was John Landis. Yeah. So who was next? Uh, the next one was uh, Joe Dante's segment, and I actually can't remember the name of this fucking segment. What happens in it? So it's um, it shows you the character played by Kathleen Quinlan, who she's in a diner and she's gone, we going like back home somewhere to see like family and stuff, and she's in the diner and fucking uh, what's his name, Dick Miller's there, like all tattooed up, aye, and uh, and he's like you know like the whole spiel and uh, it's, it's like almost he's like trying to flirt with her, yeah, and then they. Waitress through the back, like, says, Oh, I can't remember his fucking character's name. But, like, Oh, your wife's on the phone, and she's like, Wife, and he's like, Aye. It's <laughs> like, Oh, you've been fucking done, son. He's <laughs> like, Yeah, I'd sell books, so you got to buy books. Get out of the fuck out of my shop. Um, and it shows you, like, like them sitting tall, and there's like a TV in the corner, and I get some flickering, and there's mm-hmm. like, there's two, like, big fucking, like, mustard guys are talking, but saying, Oh, like, what's wrong with your telly? He's like, telly's fine. He's like, well, I've got like money on like this boxing fight or something. And the turn is a wee kid sitting playing like a fucking Pac-Man machine or something. And he's fucking battering it. And this is what's causing the the, the jump, the jump in the telly. Yeah. And they um they end up like fucking like grabbing the kid and throwing him away and stuff, <laughs> throwing him away for the machine. Yeah. And then they all just kind of jump in. And then they um. Kathleen Quinn goes to go and leave and when she's like reversing a car she reverses a car and the kid on his bike right so then he's like oh well, like, do you mind giving me a ride home it's my birthday and all that I'm supposed to be going back to my house to get like my birthday dinner but like but maybe like properly celebrates my birthday with me and stuff like that and he talks about like the family he doesn't like and stuff like that mm-hmm. so takes him into the house and all of a sudden you're meeting with like these really uncomfortable fucking like groupy like fucking it's also meant to be his family and stuff and they're um, they're really like like what's the word oh fuck like overwelcoming sort of thing alright oh, okay like, they're really like total oh, touchy oh feely. hi yeah, come on yeah, in yeah, they're all really all oh, touchy feely oh, and stuff like that and, and so how, how could they not celebrate this kid's birthday yeah and like it's just it's fucking weird. Like, like for the minute you go in the house, you know something's wrong, and mm. but you try to kind of figure out. And the whole, the whole payoff for it isn't what you think it is. Yeah, and that you think it's like the child Satan. Well, like, you think it's obviously like like 
Like, they've kidnapped a kid or something like that, eh? But it's completely fucking different. Aye. So, like, he talks about how it's his birthday and all that, and he's going to be getting, like, whatever he wants for, like, his, like, dinner and stuff like that, and it's yeah. like, they bring in, like, fucking, like, burgers with peanut butter on them, and oh, fucking, Christ. like, toffee apples and stuff like that. And it's weird, the kid's got, like, a, like, a, like, fucking, like, kinetic sort of way about them. Like, he kind of stares at them funny and all that, and, like, mm. it makes them kind of, like, shit themselves. Right. But, um... Wait, physically? No. Oh, just <laughs> no. give him a fright. Yeah, just makes them, like, really fucking terrified of them. But it turns out that, um, it's the kid is living in a cartoon world. Ah. And it's... They're, like, they're all trapped in this cartoon world and that, and he brings people in. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want them to leave, and he forces them to stay and stuff like yeah. that. So there's there's some really good like Joe Dante practical effects. Where, like they do like the whole bunny in the heart trick, and it's it's a fucking giant like prosthetic fucking like demon bunny. Oh, which, I think that's the one I've seen on Twitter where it's like a red backdrop. Yeah, and it's a creepy fucking bunny. Aye, yeah, and it's like it, it fucking it works well, and, it, and like it's a really like unsettling fucking surrounding. Yeah, and I, and like it's just like the kids like are really bratty wee bastard and all that eh? and he's like oh it's like it's my birthday I get what I want and like talk about how like something happened and he blames like the sister and uh, and the sister's like well it definitely wasn't me and all that and he's like he does something he like looks at funny and it's like something happened Mm -hmm. but like obviously you get the total practical effects like where he's like got them trapped in like the TV with the cartoons and stuff yeah. like that, and it's fucking like some really like interesting like fucking special like, effects and stuff. Mm. And they're, like, like everything's like CGI now. Like, see, like practical effects are like fucking gold dust. Yeah. See that uh, article headline on Twitter about James Wan's creating a going to direct the film. It's a brand new IP, never been done before, and it's all going to be done with practical effects. Ah. Like okay. That'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, like you were saying, like, this bunny just looks like a fucking... Looks like something out of a fucking Friday, <clears throat> uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Ah, it's got, like, total big, massive, like, dangly teeth and all that. Yeah. And, like, the, the guy that's holding the hat is fucking terrified. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's all right. It's, it's probably one of the weaker stories and all that. Um, but, I mean, like, it's, you know, like, it's, like, it's Joe Dante and all that. Like, mm-hmm. and, like, it's got Dick Miller, you know. Yeah. It's got like a, it's a bit of music sort of playing in it that kind of reminds me a bit of the Gremlins and stuff like oh, that. So right, I wonder yeah. if maybe he's used, yeah. used that as a sample and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, that, that segment was kind of, wasn't too bad. Yeah. And so your last one would be the, the George Miller one. Yeah. Yeah. And this this one's like... When I was reading on Letterboxd and IMDb, this is everybody's favourite segment. And oh, I mean, right. it's the retelling of the, oh, it's for the a, TV show. Yeah, the... What it's, was it? It's like Danger at like 20,000 feet or something. Else. Aye. It's the fucking... Um, it's the, like, the age-old cliche fucking, like, like um, paranoid fucking, like, um, like flight personnel that fucking like hates flying and all that, like thinks that they're going to be dying, like everything's exactly. going to go wrong, and start hallucinating and all that. So like, also John Lithgow, like as the story opens with him like in in the bathroom and all that, and he's like fucking freaking out. 
and uh, and like he's like some sort of like scientist or like professor or something mm-hmm. who wrote this book, but he's just he's so catatonic mm-hmm. and that like he's he's really pale and just fucking like buckets of sweat on him. Aye, and that like really sells the role. Mm-hmm. And uh, sounds like the fucking perfect choice because he's brilliant when he's hysterical. Yeah, like he could take it to the next level. Did you watch that Raising Kane yet? No. Oh. No. Nah. It's fucking weird, like... Is it uh, streaming? It's or... on... Uh, I've, got, I've got it in the house, but it's on... Prime? It's on the Amazon channel on Prime. No, I don't know. The Arrow channel. Arrow. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the Arrow channel. And I mean, it's a fucking... It's a weird film. It's quite bonkers in a way. Yeah. And I, and I mean, because it's John Lithgow playing... Plays like numerous roles in the film and uh, fucking it works works well. Aye. And uh, there's like there's a there's a, an ending shot that's just lasting. Mm-hmm. That's just fucking creepy as fuck. Aye. That's uh, well worth checking out. But aye. I mean, like, like we fucking like we talk about like John Lithgow and like Dexter and that like he was mm-hmm. really brilliant as a Trinity killer. Aye, and fucking blowout. Blowout. Like I, f- I remember watching the trailer for Blowout after we done the the review. And they fucking they, they give that away in the trailer that John Lithgow that is like the killer and and they, like they had him in like the credits and stuff and it's like can see if they take small details of this outy stuff like that it would make the payoff pay so much bigger exactly aye uh, the dude is underrated for his acting jobs I feel yeah like if you kind as a kid I would probably just recognise oh man for third rock for the yeah. sun or he's a guy for Shrek fucking but, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. He's fucking absolutely brilliant in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually quite like him in uh, Daddy's Home too, with Mark Wahlberg oh, and yes. uh, Mel Gibson. Will Farrell's and, dad. Yeah, he's so fucking brilliant. Aye. Like, he's just, he's completely opposite of what, mm-hmm. what he is, what we're used to now. He's Aye. so... How was he in uh, New Pet Cemetery? He was alright, like... Because he played, like, a granddad in he it? He played the character of Judd. Right. From the original film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was alright. I think the older, the guy that played John the original was probably a bit better. Aye. But it was, was alright, you know. Yeah. He'd done the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so, and this is like, this is, as you said, one of the most famous stories because it was parodied, parodied on The Simpsons, wasn't it? When yeah. it was like the school bus. Yeah. And there's like a little gremlin sitting taking the wheels apart and Bart Everyone thinks he's gone mental. Yeah, like I've like on my like on my notes and all, like I've said that, like if you're watching this film and all, or if, if you decide to watch it, watch it purely for this segment because this segment is just fucking like I could have happily watched another hour of this. Uh, ah, Yeah, because it was so fucking good. Eh? Like mm-hmm. obviously it's him he's sitting in his chair and, and he looks out and he sees like a fucking like a I reckon like a. a creature sort of thing that's chewing away at the wire of the wing and all that, the plane eh? and obviously everybody thinks he's fucking mental and and he's just you know, he's just paranoid and he's terrified of flights and stuff like that eh? but it just like blows into like fucking mass hysteria in the plane and all that eh? like fucking, he's got a gun all of a sudden and all that eh? and it's fucking oh man, like the but the practical effects as well with the fucking creature and that is like mm. so good. Is it just like a gremlin that's on the... Ah, it's like, like a gremlin like a looking creepy. thing, eh? Aye. And, and like... Pulling apart the like plane. He's like freaking out. He's like, oh, there's someone on the wing of the plane. And he's going fucking absolutely mental. Mm-hmm. The new series where Jordan Peele has 
an episode similar. I think it even has like a similar title, but it's sort of done in a modern Same. aspect. Aye, it is uh, Adam Scott is the lead actor for that one. The guy for like Parks and Rec and uh, Step Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's again someone that's really nervous about flying. Can he handle it? Uh, tucked in the the wee seat in front of house uses an in-flight magazine. There's like a like an iPod. It's got a podcast on it, and it's like uh, the crash of flight twenty thirteen. And he looks at his ticket, and like he's on twenty thirteen. And the episode title is the same date. So he's sitting listening to the podcast, and they're sitting talking about the mystery, the mysterious circumstances that caused this flight to crash. And he starts getting hysterical trying to explain to folk, this plane's going to crash. I'm listening to it, it's happening. And they're telling me the things and he's causing the hysteria on the, on the plane. Yeah. And he realises, is it him that causes the plane to crash? So he's all dying to like, keep him back, listen to more information, but security's trying to calm him down and stewardesses are going mental at him and passengers around him are losing their shit. And he's just constantly just trying to warn them about what's going to happen because they go into the and it's an electrical fault. And he's like, you need to tell the pilot it's an electrical fault. He's like, why do you know? What have you done to our electrics? And he's like, it's not me. And everyone thinks he's crazy. But yeah. it just made me think it's kind of like, it's kind of a similar setting, but rather than being a gremlin, it's just this guy's went hysterical yeah. over a podcast. Um, but I like fucking, like, I've seen like, the practical effects on the thing is like fucking unreal. And like, when the plane, because he ends up like, goes through the fucking, just like, gets a gun. He then decides the best idea today is to fucking shoot the gremlin through the window. <laughs> and uh, and obviously that just causes them to fucking like emergency like land the plane. Yeah. And then you see him like you see him talking, he's talking about how he's a hero and how he saved everybody. It's him in the fucking straight jacket, it's on a gurney getting <laughs> loaded into the hospital. <laughs> and then obviously all the uh, like engineers and the fucking or I want him to look at the plane eh? and like they go in the wing and like the wing is absolutely fucking torn to shreds and they have no idea Aye. what caused this. Like they try to claim that like like lightning took out the wing and all mm-hmm. that and they're like Must they're I like, have a flock of birds? They're like, nah, it's like lightning doesn't cause this. Aye. And uh, so then obviously he's fucking they're in the and they're in they're in the ambulance and they start fucking Talking to the guy, uh, talking to John Lithgow, trying to get him to calm down and that. And I call, why do you not play some music? And the guy's like, oh, I've got fucking just a song for you and all that. Puts the radio on and it happens to be a Credence Clearwater Revival song. Aye. And um, he starts talking about, oh, there's a gremlin on the plane. And, it's like, and the guy in the passenger says, oh, yeah, like, if you want to hear something really scary, I've got something to tell you. And it turns and it's fucking Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> driving the fucking ambulance <laughs> and uh, and then all of a sudden you get the um, narration again with the fucking end in it and then it kind of just cuts away into all the credits Man. and I thought it was quite an, I thought it was quite an interesting fucking ending the fact that it was Dan Aykroyd it was riding the ambulance uh, nice wee twist and I thought they could be called back to the start of the yeah. start of the film with him playing that music and all that aye yeah. man you've sold me on it I'm going to have to find it now aye uh, it's well worth watching like. yeah but like the first segment's decent. Like I think, like the only one I didn't like was the kick the calm one. Mm-hmm. But obviously the other ones are watchable. Aye, well that was and it. I mean because they're only twenty minutes, I 
Do you know what I mean? They're, they're mm. worth watching, I suppose. I was convinced I'd seen it when I was younger, and then going back, like trolling through Carpenter's work, and when it comes to body bags, it was actually body bags I'd seen. Just when I heard it was like an anthology horror thing. Yeah, I've still, I thought it was still never zone. went and rewatched body bags. Mm-hmm. I purely want to watch it for the Mark Hamill story. Yeah. Aye. So, any last notes? Eh, uh, no, really. We've talked about obviously, like, like how I, I wouldn't mind seeing like an updated adaptation that's brought to like film and all that. Kind totally. of, like, like a couple of, I mean, you, you've kind of got that with that like VHS sort of thing and like the yes, I what was the other fetch. one like the ABCs of Death and all that, which is never a tried fucking those. Weird. There's a really weird one. I think it was on ABCs. There's a lot of Asian stories. Yeah, I feel like Asian directors on that that are Aye. really fucking. They did do ones weird. that got UK releases and they just called it three. And it was just three mm. anthology films and it was like Park Chan-wook done one and Takeshi Miki done another and then be like a Hong Kong director so it'd be like kind of a different continents. I remember watching like the, like the VHS films and I'm like... I remember watching the first one and it was pretty freaky. Like the first story with the last it was like the, the vampire. Aye. It was fucking. It was quite effective. That's that got spun off into its own film. It's called Siren. Oh. It's that same like vampire coming across like a bachelor party. I don't know if it's like a dark comedy, but oh. that the the design of her it was freaky. Aye, uh, it was fucking. And then it was like the whole alien invasion thing. Mm. I just remember the one where the people are in the house, and there's it was like things were vanishing or doors were disappearing and they were trapped or things were coming at the walls to get them aye uh, aye um, I remember what I remember the story about the the couple that were going away and all of a sudden like fucking it showed you when they were sleeping and then it would show you like the light getting turned on mm-hmm. and like the camera and like somebody watching them sleeping and it was quite a fucking eerie setting it is. It was a freaky fucking film. We we done that for the podcast. It was part of. Mine we done an A to Z season. That, oh, yeah. that was V. Uh, so, and like, I just remember it. Like I think the the twist in that story was that it was the actual girlfriend of the couple was trying to run away with her lesbian girlfriend, and and she ends up like cutting the boy's throat in his sleep, and it's just it's so fucking like graphic and all that. And oh, it's just like oof. Yeah. Because I've done three of those by yeah, now. Yeah, I've seen the first two. I don't think I've seen another one. Yeah. But man, it is, it's found footage stuff is just unsettling as fuck to watch because it's, it just, it's largely, it feels largely real just because it's yeah. fuck well, pissed. Well, like, I watched um, Videodrome yesterday. Aye. And obviously it's got like a found footage feel to it with the whole Videodrome scenario and all Aye. It's like just... Like he's what like James Woods character's watching this footage of like this like these like lassies and men getting like fucking tortured and murdered for like an hour and all that and they're mm-hmm. like oh um, what times the broadcast and all that and he's thinking eh, it's like fucking like staged and all that yeah because he's like this is fucking perfect there's like there's like no budget here mm-hmm. and that but obviously it's like it's like almost like a snuff film he's kind of watching eh? yeah. And it was it was a fucking weird weird film like. Aye, I just remind that one shot where the, what are they putting in the guy's chest again? Is it like a videotape or? Aye, he's got like a gun in his chest. And yes, all that, and aye. That was a 
fucking trippy film. Yeah, it was good though. Um, BBT? Yeah, um, so the budget for this one is a nice, healthy 10 million. I mean... Do you think they kind of got a couple of million, like, like an over and right, 2.5 for you, 2.5 for you, and they all kind of got, like, there's your budget. Yeah, well, because obviously, like, it wasn't big, big actors. Aye. And uh, obviously the directors were mere, mere famous and actors at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I could only find the domestic box office for it, and it made twenty nine million back. So it's not bad. You know, I mean, it's money back. Mm-hmm. Um, trivia now. Trivia section is fucking loaded. I could imagine. Yeah. Oh, fucking four directors, and it's. But no, the, the trivia is loaded with um, the character played by Vic Morrow. He died on the set of the film with two other um, actors. All right. Um, let me find the bit that I'm looking for. So Vic Morrow, what he segment was, was he a, in? He was a character that played Bill in the first one. He was the one that was racist and all that. Right. Um, and like the first bit of trivia I've got was... Um, as Vic Morrow was waiting to film what which, which would turn out to be his last scene, mm-hmm. um, he actually said to a production assistant, I must be out of my mind to be doing this. I should have asked for a stunt double. It's like, what can the day but kill me, right? Fucking hell. And he fucking he died. And he died because of like a, um, there was a helicopter scene. And I oh, think the shit. The helicopter I fucking... Beheaded him? Yeah. I, I, I heard about that just... Someone brought that up about someone being beheaded in the Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. I fucking forgot. Jesus. Um, while he was filming Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry in 1974, he insisted on having a $1 million life insurance policy mm-hmm. before he would shoot any scenes involving the helicopter in which he was due to ride. He was very insistent and asked, and he like, asked him why, and he's like, He's like, I've always had a premonition that I was going to die in a helicopter crash. No. Oh. And he died in a crash, obviously. Aye. Um, second bit of trivia note is Steven Spielberg ended his friendship with John Landis as a result of the onset like, fatality. Aye. He said that the crash had made him grow up a little bit and had left everyone that worked on the film sick of the, like, sick to the centre of their souls. Fucking hell. I'm and surprised. I, and he was just like, it's like, it's like, no film's worth dying for. Yeah. Kind of surprised. Well, it got released, but yeah, I didn't even think the guy had fucking died until I was doing the travel notes today. Aye, and I was mental. Um, and the the music that was written. Remember, I told you about the like the music in the second segment. It was quite playful. Yeah, it was originally intended to be the uh, to be written for cycle two. It was meant to be put into yeah because it came at the same year, nineteen eighty three. It was yeah. meant to be the Norman Bates theme. Aye. Because Ken Howard has got like a wee, like soft, aye, like sentimental sort of like exactly. But I always remember it being ghostly. Yeah, aye, that was originally meant to be, oh, be that film. One. I know. I've got fucking three and four recorded on my TiVo there, and I need to watch them. Ah, oh, you need to get it done. And let me know. Mm. I I think why I still don't own that Blu-ray yet. What the box set? Cycle two. Oh yeah, aye. The Arrow Blu-ray. Aye. I thought you did. They need, they need to get... Nah, it was a review copy. Just uh, like the white yeah. disc. Aye, because I, I swapped it my... 
Ah, the, 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 original, for the, old artwork. the original artwork is is very nice. Because that's just bait standing in front of the hotel holding yeah, the keys. Yeah, eh? silhouette, yeah. Aye. Anyway. So that was it. BBT. Um, I just, I'm, I generally like fucking, I'm a bit fine with that the guy actually died. Like, Yeah. I mean, you didn't see much of it nowadays. Obviously, the mayor, the mayor comment, the mayor famous one was also Brandon Lee. On the crow and all that. Totally, aye. And but, I mean, normally when actors die nowadays, when they're making films, it's like offset sort of things. They eh? like um, can't get into a car crash because they're out drinking. Yeah, or, or fucking what's his name? Uh, Heath Ledger taking an overdose and stuff like that. You mm-hmm. know? Like, or even what's his name? Fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman. He took an overdose as well, did he know? Yeah, I think it did come to that. Eh? Mm. But um, there was. Um, but also, like, like, it's very common for stuntmen to die in yeah. nowadays, and because what was it? Someone died in the city, Deadpool too. It was like a, like a motorcycle stunt, I, and I think it was like a stunt woman got killed mm. for that one, and it's it's not unheard of, but that does tend yeah. to kind of happen more, unfortunately. But we well read the trivia notes. Sorry, well read the trivia notes. I was just, I was trying to find other trivia notes that wasn't related to the fucking, and I mean, the film went through a ton of lawsuits, like, everybody was being fucking done for, like, fucking involuntary manslaughter, and all, like, you can't charge somebody for fucking, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you, like you're making a film, right, you've made all the, all the precautions to make sure that everyone fits the fucking like safety checks and everything. Aye, it's just a freak fucking accident, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, but like, also try to find like, like if you go on like IMDb, the trivia notes are fucking huge, but it's just everything and everything revolving and everything around that, revolving around that. Eh? Man, well, so maybe at the time it fucking overshadowed the film. Yeah, like with with Dark Knight. Well, that was what they were saying, was it? It kind of. They fell it underperformed. Was they were going to make another one? Right, and like it was fell. boycotted, maybe. Mm, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't say it underperformed. It made three times its money. Yeah. You know, I wonder how much of that money went to the guy's family. That's how you you should yeah. think. Uh, but I mean, he was he was an actor, so I'm assuming he would have had a decent bit of money. comfortable yeah. living anyway. Right. Hey, should we talk about what we're going to do next week? Yeah. So, for our 1984 episode, we are going to be discussing David Lynch's... Yeah. Yes, David Lynch's June. Now, I do pronounce it like the month, but I definitely mean D-U-N-E. Yeah. Dune. I'm actually going to get it up and see... Would I say that it was Kyle McLaughlin? I can't remember who fucking else is. No, nah, I always just remember that one shot of him kind of standing in what looks like a desert and he's dressed I in black. I want to see David Bowie. Or Sting. Sting's in it. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why it's fucking familiar, because we were talking about it. About the... Um, what, with the, the new Denise yeah, one? Yeah, with Denise with fucking... What's his name's in it? Um, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin... Dave Batista, Timothy Chameley, Dave Batista, Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac... Oh, cunt in there, Doug. Fucking David Dalmatian. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is going to be in there? So... Yeah, quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so, aye, it'll be interesting to have a wee look at that, because also I think it was a fucking epic at the time. Maybe much like Conan. 
So it'll be interesting to visit. Yeah. Um, so yes, that's what we're doing for 1984. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to do your shopping at Amazon, visit filmsandswearing.com, click on the link, do your shopping as per usual. It's a great way to support the show at no extra cost to yourself. I am your host, Stuart Sutherland, and joining me across the room tonight is the magic Michael Christie. Yep. Fuck off and tune in next week. <laughs>